I started to restrict more and more food because I didn't understand what was causing the reactions I was having. And it was just, I would describe it as discomfort and it started to become debilitating. And I danced, I was a dancer. So when you're dealing with stomach issues in that atmosphere, it's definitely uncomfortable. I felt like a lot of body image going on at the same time around it. So I think it was kind of this vicious cycle of having stomach complications, trying to solve them, but also losing weight and feeling like that was positive for my body. All of a sudden, I was in college and 95 pounds or something and being threatened to not be able to stay at school if I continued to lose weight. That's how much of a turn it took. Welcome back to the Thrive on Life podcast. We're CJ and Erin Finley, lifelong best friends turned husband and wife that started a brand to inspire others to make the most out of the one life we all get to live. We are on a mission to help others in the pursuit of thriving in all areas of life through community, connection, and the sharing of knowledge. This series of the podcast with us as your hosts will feature unfiltered conversations on topics of life, marriage, parenthood, health, wellness, and what we consider the The art art of of thriving. thriving. Let's dive in. All right. It is CJ and Aaron Finley here back with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about biomarkers, blood work, and how we optimize our health. So I foresee this being the first of many episodes on this topic. But since we recently both got some blood work done and received our results just last week. It's been really top of mind. And we thought it would be a good idea to take you through a little bit of the backstory on both of our health journeys, the complications that each of us has dealt with and continues to deal with, how that's changed, how we've basically taken our health into our own hands, and why we feel so passionately about inspiring others to do that. So I'm going to turn it over to CJ to give us a little background on his health journey. So take us back to, let's say, I don't know, 10 years ago. What were you struggling with in terms of your health? And at what point did you decide, I cannot continue having no answers. I need to do something. Dan, when you started this episode, I thought you were going to say blood work biomarkers and booty. Why would I say booty? <laughs> I don't know. See where my head's at. Uh, okay. It's late in the day. Um, in terms of blood work, I can remember going No, back. not blood work. What? You weren't... I feel like you're distracted. I asked you a question. <laughs> Take us back on your health journey. At About yeah, 10 years ago, what were you struggling with in terms of your health and at what point were you like, I cannot deal with no more answers? What what was that? What did that look like in your life? Yeah, so I was going to start with, like, I've been searching for answers for ever since I can remember, to even what? when I was a kid. To like, what, I remember getting blood work as a kid because I had stomach issues, and I would be going to the gastro. What were your stomach issues like? I mean, do we want the short answer or do we want the long answer? Whatever answer you think is going to be helpful to someone out there listening that might be dealing with stomach issues and needs some advice. I love that. When I was a kid, I was showing signs of what the doctors were saying was anxiousness, anxiety. That's what they thought was causing my stomach issues. And what that showed up as was having diarrhea multiple times a week. And they were really pushing on my mother that it was because I was anxious and I was just a very exuberant, on-the-go, energetic boy. And that would lead to diarrhea. That lasted probably all the way through my teenagers years, I would have, I struggled with going back and forth from constipation to diarrhea. <laughs> I mean, you asked for like, what would be valuable? 
I feel like this is valuable to people because. Okay, I didn't mean you didn't have to give away all the symptoms, but like. But it does. In, it does. In, There's a lot of people I feel like struggle with stomach <laughs> issues that hide it. And or that, that think it's point. normal. That this, think it's yes, normal. Yes, so this gets to the point of when, yes. when did you decide that <laughs> this enough was enough? And I think for so long, I just thought it was fucking normal. Like, and I did thought, any doctor ever say, what are you eating, CJ? Oh, you're an athlete. How are you? Like, what's your nutrition look like? Not a single one. I think they didn't ask because... I wasn't sleep? overweight. Hmm. I wasn't like, I looked normal, relatively, I guess. And I performed well. So I was an elite athlete. I got great grades. So there was no, and I also have a high pain tolerance. So I would hide some of the things. Now it's I knew- interesting that they said anxiety because that's the same answer. I, like when I was in college struggling, they said, oh, you're just really stressed out. Yeah, no fucking shit you're stressed yeah. out because you feel like you can't eat anything. it's a cycle yeah so okay so but the thing the problem is when you're younger you don't know how to communicate any of that so you start thinking it's just normal so i thought and there's there's not there's just something wrong information out there today as easily accessible as it is yeah so there was no instagram there's no like there's no (laughs) fact checked (laughs) there's no (laughs) fact checking um there was nobody that i could relate to that, that was really what it came down to. I I did, obviously didn't talk to my friends about this, especially as a male. Like, I just yeah, you're not it. like, hey, are you having diarrhea every day too? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just like, you just go on with your life. And it was, I think also because in my family, stomach issues was prevalent. It mm-hmm. was just, oh, this is just something you deal with. So that's the long-winded answer. That lasted all the way through college when I really realized that there was something truly wrong was when I got my first full-time job and well, it started impacting my job. Take us back though. Cause wasn't it after college when you got your job where they said that you were actually had celiac? Yeah. So going into, I got my first corporate job and when you have jobs, you go out to eat and you have a couple beers and the next day everyone seemed fine. And I felt, like terrible. Mm -hmm. And I'm in my early twenties and asking myself, I should not be feeling this bad. I'm old enough to know and to analyze and to look around and see like a lot of these people can eat like trash still and they're fine. But if I had two beers the next day, I felt something was wrong. Something was off. I have, if I had a bagel or if I had pizza, something was off. And I started realizing like I shouldn't be having diarrhea every single day. There's something wrong here. Unfortunately, when I would go to the doctors then, it was just, here's a probiotic, here's an antispasmatic, here's pills to help. There was no talk of meditation. There was no talk of how's your sleep. There's no talk of what's your relaxation and recovery look like. Not a single conversation around that. And it wasn't really until I moved in with you when you were like, you are fucked up. Like something is wrong. You need to figure this out. That's when we'll kick it over to you and your story. I started doing reflection. Anybody that knows what I was going through in like behind closed doors, somebody that could relate like yourself, if you're telling me something's really wrong, then something's probably really wrong. And that's when I really started okay, enough with the doctors. I'm going to teach myself how to read blood work and invest in these different recovery modalities to figure out what's the root cause of my health issues. And I want to get to that more and pick that apart more because I think going into your liver and, and that set of analysis as well is really valuable. But yeah, I'll give a quick backstory on my journey probably it was like sophomore year of high school or something where I decided that I needed to do something different because I was starting to have reactions to different foods. So I started avoiding dairy and felt like that helped. And then it was to the point where, and to take it back a little bit to the stress conversation, yeah, that was a time of high stress. Like I was trying to get into my top dream school for college. I was involved in a million and one things. And so, yeah, if I think 
about it. I'm sure a lot of it was induced by stress and not good stress management practices. Uh, but I started to restrict more and more food because one, I didn't understand what was causing the reactions I was having. And it was just, I would describe it as a discomfort and it started to become debilitating. And I danced, I was a dancer. So when you're dealing with stomach issues in that atmosphere, it's definitely uncomfortable. And then there's this, I felt like a lot of body image going on at the same time around it. So I think it was kind of this vicious cycle of having stomach complications, trying to solve them, but also losing weight and feeling like that was positive for my body. Like, and it's just like, all of a sudden I was in college and 95 pounds or something and being threatened to not be able to stay at school if I continued to lose weight. That's how much of a turn it took. Uh, and I was going to doctor after doctor, test after test, and nothing was conclusive as to what the issue was. Uh, I was taking different kinds of tests. I think I had blood work done. I had some kind of like bacteria test. I took some tests where I had to drink, I think it was like iodine or something that would light up so that I, they would see if there was some reaction going on. I actually forget what that test was. But so many, it was a stressor just to go to these appointments. And you probably can relate to that, right? And then pile on top of that, these like long engineering exams where I felt like, okay, if I'm going to go into this exam, I better not eat anything because I'm not going to be able to concentrate if I eat something and have a bad reaction. And then my stomach's making all these noises. <laughs> but then if I don't eat, that's not great either because then my brain's not functioning properly. And I look back on this and I'm like, man, if only I solved those problems, what would I have been able to achieve? Like how much did we hold ourselves back because we were sick? And it was causing mental, dis like a mental disorder too. I think it was all tied together. And I think back too, I was on birth control, like being on birth control during that time and then coming off of that. So there's just so many things where I can't pinpoint exactly what started the healing for me. I think it was avoiding gluten eventually and starting to introduce more nutrient dense foods instead of like snacks all the time and little small meals to try to avoid things that I thought were really destructive. Um, so being way more mindful of nutrition and I think managing stress better, getting off of birth control and any kind of medications and really prioritizing health. And that was a journey that probably took me, I don't know, all through college for sure. And even getting out of college and moving to Texas and on my own, like I wasn't healed at all at that point. I was still struggling. So I think it was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or maybe eight years ago where I started to finally feel like I was chipping away at a healthier self. And all of this to say, uh, we didn't get any magic answer from any doctor's visit. I'm not downplaying the medical, I'm not, you know, knocking doctors. I think they have a purpose. But I think a lot of people suffer in silence and in frustration because they're struggling with complications like we did, where you feel like you don't know what's causing, you're not yourself, you don't know what's causing it. One day you just can't do the same things you did before. And you're left with this overwhelming amount of information out there to try to solve it. And it is a journey. And so we started to, once we took it into our own hands and then we started getting let blood me, work done. Let me interject here. The part of the journey that leads to change is looking in the mirror and starting to understand uh, this isn't going to happen in a day. Yeah. And I am in control. I think, especially for you with for an, me, yeah, I, I just kind of, I kind of also just labeled myself as like, I'm somebody with stomach problems. Like, hello, that's me. Like I, I didn't ever foresee a future where I yeah, was potentially the, right the person that wouldn't have issues. I always thought, yeah, I just have problems. Like I just, I have issues and I 
didn't accept that if I put in the work, I can overcome a lot of these issues. And here I am on the other side today where I feel like I have hardly any issues. I'm optimizing now. And that's an amazing spot to be in. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this. And so the stomach journey, gut health is one thing. And then the other thing that I've been super zoomed in on is heart health because those that know my story with my dad, he was very healthy physically from the outside, but we have also a family history of heart disease and my dad being one of the fittest in our whole family died of a heart attack at age 53. And so at that point I was 22 years old and going to the cardiologist being like, I want to, I want to be preventative. And the cardiologist was like, why are you here? You're 22 years old. Your heart's fine. You're not going to have any issues until at least maybe 10 years from now, but there's nothing I can do for you today. And I didn't like that answer. I really felt frustrated by that. And I understand that I showed up at 22 years old with, you know, perfectly fine functioning heart and no calcification of arteries or anything. But I wanted to know, well, you know, should I be running as much as I run? Should I change my diet in any way? And I just accepted that I had to figure that out myself and I had to find doctors that were supportive of a preventative lifestyle. So that's the journey I've been on. And a lot of the biomarkers that we test today are to continuously check on levels and how different phases of our life could bring about change, how certain behaviors bring about change. So I think we'll talk a little bit about what we specifically track and what we've done to improve certain things. So my next question for you is around the times where, so you started to get blood work done. And I remember almost the first time when you got the SpectraCell test. So talk a little bit about SpectraCell and what that tests and how much of a shock it was for you. Yeah, before I jump into that, going back to the point of taking complete ownership over your health and coupling that with forgiveness. I don't think this is a topic I've ever touched on any of my content. Forgiving the system. Mm. Forgiving the, because even that is stress. The stress of, I've been trying so hard to find answers and all these doctors and no, you have to put yourself all this in their money, shoes. All this yeah, money I I've spent. I think I held a lot of grudges for a lot of mm-hmm. years because I did spend a lot of time in doctor's office. I mean, I had my first colonoscopy in my early 20s. Not many people are doing that. My 30th birthday present to myself was spending yeah. $2,000 on a colonoscopy. And now I have to get them every three to five years because my aunt died of colon cancer at 40 and I'm 32. But I don't... I don't have a grudge on that anymore. I I almost look forward to investing in my health in that way and being preventative. And as soon as I started working on my mind, which started with reading books, which is how I stumbled upon SpectraCell, which was books, podcasts, audiobooks. SpectraCell actually started with Tim Ferriss. I don't know if it was a blog he wrote or if it was a podcast. And then it got validated by one of my mentors who also was taking SpectraCell. And that's when I was like, oh, this is something I need to be looking into. And when I took the test, it basically tests your antioxidant function and your immune function. And took the test, got back the results, and realized real quickly that like the one main antioxidant, glutathione, which is important for all the rest of the antioxidants, was very low for me, which then impacted my immune function. And that was borderline, I'm going to get a disease that's going to cause severe problems down the line. I think anything under 30 is like where something's very, very bad's going on. And I scored like a 44, I think, on that first test. And for reference, my father, who has been diagnosed with cancer in the past, and so is his father, I'm trying to prevent that from happening to me, obviously, he scored much higher on this immune function than even I did. And that was an eye opener for me. 
Now, the key to this is I also did a liver panel, hormone panel, and general blood work panel. And the liver panel showed that my AST and my ALT were obnoxiously high. So they're supposed to be below 50. I think one was like 100 and over 150 and one was over 200. And right away, that was a sign that anything that impacted my liver, I needed to either take away or start investing in. And what that looks like is I, that wasn't the first time ever that I was like, since I was like 16 years old, that I told myself, I'm going to go a whole month without a sip of alcohol. And then I'm going to retest. And I'm also going to invest in liver support supplements that essentially NAC, glutathione, ALA, and things for, that would support And for anyone listening, why is it important for you to pay attention to your liver function? For every person, it's vital because the liver is essentially the garbage disposal of your body. It's going to take whatever that you're putting in your body and detox the bad, but also provide energy for the good. And if you don't have a solid pathway of detoxing and you start storing a lot of processed sugar, processed alcohol, you could potentially get something called fatty liver disease, which also, let me finish, which also runs in my family. So I'm going to go a little bit even deeper here. I started understanding through a DEXA scan that I have high visceral fat. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. I have poor liver scores. I'm skinny, but I have high visceral fat. And visceral fat, for anyone listening, is increased fat around your organs. Mm -hmm. Which leads to cancer, diabetes, and other issues, heart disease. So I asked my mother, anyone in our family have fatty liver disease and she said I think one of her grandparents died of non-alcoholic hmm. fatty liver disease aha then I google fatty liver disease by celiac and there's a link so then it just becomes oh if I support my liver and I start detoxing better well what's the number one free way to do that sleep better invest in your sleep and that goes for improving everything yeah but and, and I just want to go to that point of you having really poor liver scores. Like, what were the symptoms? If you could think back and went to the time period where you got those results, did anything click in your mind? Like, oh, no wonder I've been feeling this way or this way. Like, is there any connection to how you were actually feeling? Yeah, I mean... It's tough to say because I feel so much better now That's, you, yeah, that I don't I even, remember. Know, I hardly remember. But when I have a bad day, I, I was much more bloated. So that was one mm-hmm. of the signs. I have photos, like literally one of the specific ones was when I did that sphere event at Houston Dynamo Stadium. And I had this photo that like my stomach was just mm-hmm. enlarged and the bloating was probably the number one, which meant I was inflamed everywhere. And I think the other one is just mental clarity. My mental clarity now is so much better. And I think another one that's interesting that I've noticed is I sweat a lot more now. I don't think I was sweating as much, which is also another sign. This is like... Which detox, yeah. 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 I wasn't detoxing as well, which now like I'm... I have a normal detox function and I mean we just did blood work my liver store my liver test came back good my my gut test came back good like I'm I'm on the up and up with all of these things and I think something that I've learned is it's not what you ingest it's what you absorb and that's where Mm-hmm. because I have celiac and because I have this predisposition to not necessarily absorb nutrients the right way, doing the IVs at MSW, making sure that I'm taking my regular vitamins. As soon as I started doing that and absorbing more of the things that my body needs, I started feeling night and day better. And going back to you, this is where I think you're so healthy because maybe 10 years ago, you weren't absorbing the right things because you weren't, you were 
under eating and over exerting. And then as soon as you started eating more and absorbing, like you're, you just went, your scores. Yeah. And, and for reference though, I'm in a period right now where the results I just got back were from a period of time where I'm currently exclusively breastfeeding our five month old baby. And I'm seeing in the results that I'm, starting to have a little bit of an absorption issue again, or it's just that a lot of my nutrients are depleted because of all the energy production required for milk and transporting those nutrients to the baby via the milk supply. So it's interesting how these kind of functions of our body can change over time and how for me, this is a critical reason why it's important for me to continue testing so that I can see. And to somebody who maybe, I mean, it's not common for people to to do blood work the way we do and kind of be quantified in the way that we are. And it can be overwhelming. It could be like, well, that's for when I go to the doctor. But the reason why I think it's important and why I'm passionate about encouraging people to do it is because at least know your baseline and if you see something that, or if something comes back alarming, work on it while you have a chance because it's our number one tool to, to self-correct. You don't want to wait until something gets so far out of range that you start to develop a disease. At least I don't want to. So that's my reasoning for keeping these markers in check. Well, to that point, you have to live like life like you are going to get disease. Yeah. That's the point. Like, Everyone listening to this, you are going to get a disease. You are going to, if you don't get hit by a car or something like that, you are going to get a disease. The earlier you catch it, the more likely you are to defeat it. And the only way you catch it is if, like Aaron's saying, you have a baseline year over year of your own data. Because when have you gone to the doctor and they're like, oh, you're in normal range. Yeah. And that's the other thing I wanted to touch on. the normal ranges, right? So you could be in normal range and on the upper end of the spectrum or the lower end of the spectrum where it's just a point or a decimal away from being on the the bad or danger zone, right? So I like to look at my scores and put myself in the category of, well, what's actually optimal? Like, I don't want to just be a point or 0.01 away from danger zone. This is a great point because prostate cancer runs in the males in my family. And that's based on a PSA test. So there, which is a decent range. Mm -hmm. So if I only got a PSA test every three or four or five years, I could drastically change the, the measure of that test, but still be within range. And then if I don't go another five years, well, that on that... Next five years, I've had cancer for a couple of years because it could have risen year over year and mm-hmm. I didn't even see it. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens to a lot colonoscopy. Of, and, yep. Yep. And that happens to a lot of people out there. And that's the thing where if you take complete ownership and you say, kind of like what we've said, we've been forced to do this because of our lineage and say, we're this is going to happen to us. So we're going to do whatever we can to one do our best to prevent it. But then two, if it does happen, we're going to catch it. And then we're going to know the protocols right away of what we need to do. To also, fight it. I just look at it like it's not that much extra work for me to just get the test done and do little iterations to improve these things. than it would be, it's like that, what we always say, like, what is the cost of not doing this? Like the, Maybe the burden is, okay, you have to figure out when you're going to get this. It could be a little bit expensive to do this, but to me that's an investment that I want to make because imagine if I don't pay attention and then five years from now I get really alarming results back and it's too little too late and it's much harder to make an adjustment that's going to have an impact. So I, I like to, the, the categories that I look at are heart health, general inflammation, so that's C-reactive protein, metabolic health, that's your fasting glucose, fasting uh, insulin, and hemoglobin A1C, how your body is responding, your your insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity, and then hormones, 
So I wanted to touch on hormones a little bit because we obviously just had our first child and I like to think that if we weren't so proactive with our own health and taking it into our own hands and everything, I don't know that we would have been able to conceive a child. So I think if you're interested in starting a family one day, that's another reason to pay attention to these things. Oh, that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I, so I think fertility is something I wanted to touch on and the way we train. Endurance athletes also have different levels. And this is something I've been doing a lot of research on, but your biomarkers are heavily, the levels of these biomarkers are heavily influenced by behaviors like heavy stress endurance training and stressors like that. And so in runners, you notice certain hormonal levels being different. Um, the glucose sensitivity can be different. So that's something I wanted to touch on too. Like how have you seen differences depending on how you're training and maybe in testosterone, like what have you seen? Yeah, I think before I get into that, the cool thing on our last test that I do want to applaud us for is our cortisol was fine. We're in a very stressful state right now. We have a infant, we're training hard. It's super Aaron's, hot. <laughs> it's super hot. Aaron's working hard in her career. I'm doing the same. A lot of transitions in our life. A lot going on. Like we're recording here at 8 p.m. On a, on a Wednesday night because we don't really have time to make anywhere else. So there's a lot fucking going on in our lives. But our cortisol was good, which tells me one thing, that recovery is vital in our life and we treat it that way. And it's working. And it's working. So we do sauna and ice almost every single day. We get seven to eight hours of sleep, like clockwork, almost every single day. We go to bed and we wake up relatively the same almost every single day, whether it's a weekday or it's a weekend. And we eat really well. So they want to applaud us because people out there, when you're touching on the training and testosterone, my testosterone is low right now, but I'm not surprised. My body is reacting. We have an infant. I'm not, it's not producing at a high rate of testosterone being like, let's have, let's make more mm -hmm. babies right now. Uh, I'm training really hard through the heat. I'm in a training block, which always reduces my testosterone. And my sleep is really thrown off because of Aiden. I'm still getting enough total sleep, but from the, my past tests that I've taken, I've done tests where I take testosterone supporting supplements and I train at a sustainable capacity. Not like I would say the, tr the way I'm training right now is, isn't sustainable over the wrong one. You don't want to do it for every single month of the year, especially not in a hundred degrees. And my sleep is in chunks. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have control over some things that would help me really boost my testosterone. Um, so that wasn't shocking. Now, the difference is I know that that number exists right now. So two or three months from now when we're in winter and I'm in a different block where it's going to be probably more of recovery for me, I'm going to put on a little bit more weight and have a little bit more relaxation. I'm then going to retest. And if it's the same or it gets lower, big problem. But if I'm able to manipulate that number and raise it, I now know that I can anticipate different numbers and fluctuations during different periods of my life. But I also know that I'm in control of how to become my healthiest version of myself. So for the healthiest version of myself might not be the highest performing version of myself in certain areas. Like the highest performing athlete when you're stressing yourself, and this goes for every male out there, if you're going to take blood work, and I talk to a lot of guys on Instagram about this, they'll be like, oh, my, my test came back low. And I'll be like, well, what did your training look like this week? If you trained hard the day before you got your blood work done, it's probably you're probably going to have low T because you're fasting into that, which is also a stressor. And your sleep is probably a little bit off. But if you relaxed a week into that blood test, you're probably going to have higher testosterone. So just knowing that, and you touched on fertility, 
you probably shouldn't be in an endurance training block if you're a male trying to have a kid. So there's a lot of different factors and we can go a bunch of different ways, but I want to throw it over to you because it was interesting to hear him say that your testosterone was low and how that impacts women. And I think that, when is that talked about? Well, I think for me, it's primarily due to the fact that I'm breastfeeding and that there's a hormone called prolactin, which is responsible for the breast milk production. And so that's, from my understanding, it's basically an antagonist to testosterone. So if I stop breastfeeding, hopefully my levels will return back. But I think what you, what you tend to feel is probably a little more lethargy, like tiredness, fatigue, low sex drive, just not feeling great like mentally, I guess. Um, I don't really know what the physical symptoms are. I just know that there's been a lot of change happening, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly like how I feel that's different from what an optimal state would be like. But yeah, I think in the postpartum period, there's a million things that are out of whack. And for me, something I'm working on based on the recent results is seeing that a lot of the nutrients are not absorbing as they were. And I'm taking vitamins every day. I'm very diligent about that. But I need to figure out why maybe my B vitamins are not being absorbed and how I can increase absorption of that. I'm looking at things like iron and vitamin C and how I can increase absorption of that. And I feel like I just need to do a little bit more inventory of my diet and make sure I have good balance there. Um, so that's kind of what my priorities are. The gut inflammation is a new one that came about in postpartum. I felt like I had solved a lot of that, but it's a little frustrating that I think returned. watching you, the tough thing is, especially like postpartum, it's like you lost a bunch of weight immediately. And then now in your stage, you're nitpicking on how you look and how you feel. And it can... For somebody who trains like you, it can be just like you were talking about with dance. It can be a confusing time because the reality is we train hard. We're sweating a lot. You're breastfeeding. You need to eat more of certain things. Yeah, the goal is not You don't know what right more is. And you right, also, right. it's like, okay, how much more? Because you wouldn't think that you and I who take nutrients serious would be low in our B vitamins. That was shocking to me because I was too. But then when we started talking about how much we're sweating compared mm -hmm. to usual and you're breastfeeding, so it's just everything is new. And then going back to talking about hormones, testosterone, estrogen, like I think the other thing that needs to be said is it's different for everybody because physically they'll talk especially with males, it could be like, you can be that high achieving male who has energy, but still has, is scoring lower in testosterone. So for me, I think it was like 500. So people can know the number. I forget what the actual metrics were. So it's not low enough where it's like, oh my God, you need to mm -hmm. be taking testosterone. But it, it's on the lower end where I need to, what I asked him specifically, the guy that we were talking to virtually was how do I train hard and still move the number up? Like I, a test for me, I think would be great is training like this next summer in a hot summer and seeing like, okay, let me try and optimize and see if I can fluctuate the number even when I'm training. But that's, an, that's another conversation. I just really wanted to touch on, for me, it's I still have a lot of energy but I feel my mental is what takes a beating. Like I knew going into this blood work that it wouldn't be my highest mm -hmm. score that I've gotten for testosterone and my hormones. But it's just another data point, which I like. It's just in another three or four months, we'll take another test. And I'm looking forward to seeing how different behaviors that we implement are going to have an impact. Like I just started doing sauna and ice again. And I think that that practice, even just doing it consistently for the last two weeks, I can feel that, I mean, I know 
physiologically it helps with inflammation, but I just feel better. I feel like my sleep is better. I feel like I'm detoxing. I mean, I'm sure I am, but like, and there's no way to really confirm that, but I feel better. So I wonder how it's going to show up in some of these markers in the next round. I, I'm just so bullish on sleep. I just think yeah, sleep, like sleep. when he gets to the point where he's, he can sleep even six hours straight, because for any new parents out there, the tough part is you don't know when they're specifically going to wake up through the night. So if you fall asleep and they wake up within an hour, that sets your cadence off it's so just, bad. It's interrupted. And then like if we look at, because we're freaks about analyzing our sleep, like my light sleep has increased. So duration wise, I'm still getting seven hours a night, but the deep sleep and the REM sleep window is dwindling <laughs> because I'm interrupted a few times. So like the, the best thing I can control is making sure from a duration standpoint, I don't go below seven. And then doing my best to actually fall asleep <laughs> when I can. And, and part of that is reducing stimulants before bed. And so I think that's another thing that you have control over that, you know, looking at your phone and like, I'm bad about that. I, that's kind of how I've relaxed. Uh, but I'm thinking, you know, Oh, Nurse Doza would yell at you so bad right now. Probably would, it's but that's something I'm, I'm mindful it's not of. Relaxation. Like, even if it feels relaxing to look at certain things, like that's actually my brain being stimulated, and it's preventing me from being able to fall into that deep sleep as fast as I could or should be. So, and cutting off caffeine at a certain point, and I'm not really drinking much caffeine, so that's not a well, huge concern. Well, to for all me, relationships but. out there, here's an interesting thing with sleep. I I'm big on couples both tracking your sleep, especially like for a certain time frame. You don't have to do it for your whole lives, but just to get a general understanding, Aaron can sleep like an hour less than me in totality, but her quality of sleep is much better than mine. I wake up more. I use the restroom more in the middle of the night. And if you're a couple and one of you needs more sleep, sometimes it can be frustrating for the other partner yeah. who is like well, also, in the past we have dealt with that. But since we've been tracking, we're very. Another thing. Uh, what is the word? Uh, supportive yeah. of one another because we can clearly see who needs what and how much of it they need and when they need it. Yeah. And I was talking to my mom about sleep recently and she said to me, I used to be a really good sleeper. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, I would sleep a really long time. And I was like, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good sleeper. And I think that that's a misconception a lot of people have. Just because you can sleep a long time, that could actually be a sign that you're not a good sleeper because your body feels it needs to be Continuous at rest there. for so long because you're not getting enough quality sleep. And that could be a sign that something else is underlying that issue. So don't think about, oh, I get good sleep because I'm in bed for eight hours. Uh, until you can actually track and, and do your best at understanding what good sleep actually is. This is interesting because there's some nights when I wake up and I now know I'm like, oh, my HRV, um, I feel ready to rock. Yeah. And it's because like the first three to four hours felt great and then I get into the, like this deep sleep and then I'll probably wake up at like 4.35 and I feel it in me. I'm like, oh, I don't need that much more sleep. I feel like I'm going to crush today. And then there's other days where we'll go to bed early and I'll get, I'll, we'll be in bed for eight and a half to nine hours. And during that time, I'm like, oh, like I don't feel as well. Mm -hmm. And talking about this is important because Every little choice that you make, looking at the phone, watching the Netflix, I want to convey that it adds up. And then that stuff that you do shows up in your blood work. So every yeah. decision and to eat, when do you eat, when do you go to sleep, when do you wake up, how much sunlight you get every day, it's all going to show up in your blood. Yeah. And that is in line with what I was just saying and what I want to reiterate is that you can feel like you're healthy and like you're a good sleeper and you don't have any issues, but until you actually see it, visually see it, you will be shocked. Like 
I think that if when you see the numbers of what your levels of your blood work are or what your sleep score actually is or what your heart rate variability actually is and your resting heart rate, that is, it's not until you see it. And I don't know, everyone's a different type of learner, but for visual learners that need like that shock factor of, okay, I need to, need to change something. Well, it goes back to like, you don't know what you don't know. So when I was younger and I felt sick, like I didn't know any different. Yeah, true. Like it wasn't painful to the point where I thought it was dying, but I wasn't optimized to the point of like where I'm at now. And I'm like, holy crap, like I can do two workouts a day. I could be up till 8.30 p.m. doing podcasts. I could work 14-hour days and do it day after day after day. Like, Take care of a newborn. Optimal <laughs> like health, yeah. right? I didn't know what that felt like. And even still, I look at my numbers and I say, oh, I have a lot of improvement that I could make still. Right. And that is the real beauty. Yeah. And something else I want to convey is like once you feel what it feels like to be optimized, it is addicting. Like you, it's hard to remember how bad it actually felt at one point. But then when you have a bad day, like today, for example, I had a convention where I had to eat out. And usually when I eat, like restaurant food or something that's not prepared by us, I have a reaction and I've been feeling that today. And I'm like, crap, I can't believe I felt this way every day. Like it is debilitating. I can't focus. I, yeah, it's just, so once you figure it out and once you solve it, there's so much hope for brain clarity, for (laughs) for energy, for being able to do what you want to do, for your mood, and just overall well-being. So I think it's worth the investment to understand what the data looks like on the inside because you cannot judge on the outside. And we'll be the first to tell you that. We are advocates of that. And so I just thought this episode could be an intro to how blood work has really improved our lives and helps us continue to optimize our health. I think we'll have several follow-up conversations on this. I think there's many areas that we could go deeper into. So if you're listening to this and there's something interesting to you that you'd love to hear more about, please let us know if you're struggling with any kind of health complications and we could be of any advice to you as to how to go about doing anything that we've done already uh, or offering more of our personal experience to hopefully help you, please let us know. And if you have any other feedback, you know where to reach us. Yeah, I really like this episode. I think talking about blood work, bio biomarkers and, and booty is a hot topic right now. And it's something that I'm looking forward to the future of this space because I believe it's a new frontier. And in the next 10 years, we're probably going to see the ability so to t- almost take your own blood and see it on your laptop what the results are or some type of thing like that. So I think my biggest takeaway here tonight is when I look back on my blood work, I just realized that like we have like three years worth of blood work. I need to aggregate some of it and put it into almost like a dashboard. And I would love to almost do an episode where we just run through how our blood has shown up over the years and almost like live and live analysis of it and maybe walk through what some of it means and things like like, that or how we go about interpreting certain things yeah i think that could be helpful i i think the biggest takeaway for me like epigenetics has been something i've been interested in for the past 10 years and Now, especially, I don't think I, I've been studying it for that long, but I don't think I've actually tried implementing behavior to change my genetics until maybe the last five years since we've been in Austin. I feel like moving to Austin changed our genetics. And so seeing that and then just understanding that and seeing it once play out. Here's a easy tell of that. I didn't use suntan lotion a single time this summer and I didn't get burnt. A single time. That's wild. Yeah. Our I used skin to get burnt is different. all the time in New Jersey. 
I, and I would use a ton of sunscreen. That's probably toxic to me. And I didn't use sunscreen in Texas in the 100-degree heat one time this summer. Yeah, I think, so seeing your genetics change and blood work change just as a result of behavioral lifestyle actions is super motivating. And I think that, that is a, that's a new frontier um, and one that I'll continue to go down because if we think about raising our kid, we are so zoomed in on how do we provide an environment for him to be as optimally healthy as possible? How do we give him that healthy environment that we didn't have so we're in tune to those things that can create poor health just by being around it? Love that. We'll end there. Next health episode is on epigenetics. If you like this episode and you think that it could be helpful to somebody, somebody in your family or your friend group that you have been talking about health with or would love to share some blood work info, please send this episode to them. Our biggest mission with Thrive on Life is to help other people thrive. And the easiest way to do that is to just send this episode to somebody. It's free. You can listen to it while you're running, on a walk, in your car. Give us that feedback on what you liked about the episode or if there's anything that you would love to learn more about so that we can put it into future episodes. Last but not least, give us that five-star rating and review. That's the best way you can help us reach more people that need to hear information like this. This is CJ and Aaron this Finley Aaron. with the Thrive Online Podcast. Thrive on. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.